Welcome to Women Worth Knowing, the radio program and podcast hosted by Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. There are so many Christian women with fascinating stories, whether missionaries, musicians, reformers, authors, wives, mothers, single women, just so many stories that serve as examples and are inspirational to us all. And that's what we want to bring to you each week here on Women Worth Knowing. And today we have part two of a friend of mine, Gloria Chapman. We um, said at the beginning of part one, this is a sensitive story. So moms especially, see if you need to kind of vet this, listen to it first. But we, we feel it's such an important story. And it's a beautiful story because it's a God story. It is. And that's why we want to tell it. So It's a beauty from ashes story. Yes, beauty from ashes. So Gloria Chapman, our guest, is on the phone with us. And Gloria, welcome back. We would love for you to just pick up where we left off, which was where Mark had been pursuing you, sent you roses, and you were dating. This is at the end of August. And now... Tell us from there to when you were walking down the aisle and getting married. Okay, thank you, Robin, and thank you, Cheryl. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> our courtship was quite short. As I said, he returned from his around-the-world trip, August 20, and we immediately became soul mates. I mean, we felt like we had known each other for years when it only had been months, and we were married just the following year on June 2, June 2 of 79. I know I said I wouldn't. How did your parents feel about this? Well, when I told mom after Mark proposed in January of 79 by writing, will you marry me in the sand on the beach? Oh. um, (laughs) Yeah. That's romantic. Mm -hmm. From the movie. And I stood there, you know, with my mouth open. He said, you better answer quickly because the wave is going to come and wipe away my question. So I immediately took the stick from him and wrote Y-E-S and three exclamation points. Mm. For a long time, that was the happiest day of my life. Mm. But um, we went back to my house and I told mom, um, he said he would have liked me to marry somebody Japanese, you know, mm-hmm. Marcus Caucasian. But he liked him as a person. And my dad told me later that he thought Mark was a very smart man. Um, and it's just too bad, you know, yeah. what later happened. But they weren't opposed to it. You know, things were getting more common, you know, it was more common for yes. two different nationalities to marry. So yeah. No, not really a big deal. So, um, I have heard of uh, people changing after they get married. I mean, it seems to be more common than we think that what happened, you know, what happened to this nice, kind, quiet, loving person, you know, so this kind of happened to Mark. I don't know why, but after we got married, he just changed. The sickness came back, uh, I don't know, but by that time, our um, church member, oh, it's the involvement, our church involvement 
had changed because we had sold our car. We had moved to another part of the island, so we're further from our church friends. Wait, how did you end up with church friends? Um, We were going to Mark's church, the one where he introduced me to the Lord, and the pastor was the one that married us. So we went there for a little while. Wait, so that's when you met the Lord? Is why you were dating, Mark? I'm sorry. I skipped over a very important piece in my life. Yes. So Women want to know. um, Well, in August of 1978, I did not know the Lord. Mark has a gift of evangelism, and because he, you know, maybe had plans of marrying me, but for whatever reason, he just... Um, just kept sharing the Lord with me, and he took me to his church. We went to Sunday school, which just happened to be on marriage. That was the topic that this couple was teaching on. So, um, but I definitely heard the gospel there, and one day I said out loud, I think in the hearing of the pastor, but definitely in the hearing of Mark, I said, I don't need a savior. I'm a good person. I mean, I haven't killed anybody buddy, or done anything really wrong. So I I needed to realize that I was a, a sinner first because I was far from that. And, you know, and I had been dabbling in the occult. So I, my mind was totally messed up. And one time Mark took me to this uh, mort- uh, cemetery and he pointed to the graves and he said, you think this is all there is, you know, when we die? And I said, oh, no, we uh, keep coming back and we just try to do better and the better the next time until we reach perfection, nirvana, and we don't have to come back anymore. So that's really how lost I was. Hmm. But Mark didn't give up on me. Uh, he loved me enough just as a person and he just kept sharing Jesus and and how we really needed Jesus as a Savior. And, of course, the Holy Spirit was working. And I know people at church were praying for me. And one day uh, I went to pick up Mark at his apartment in my car. And I'm sitting in my car. And I just said out loud, I said, God, I don't know if you are real. But if you are, I want to know you. Mm. And if you say a prayer like that, anybody listening, if you say a prayer to God that you want to know him, he will definitely answer that prayer with a yes, a big resounding yes. And it was soon after that that I would pick up the Bible and I, I was starting to understand it. You know, the Holy Spirit was showing me things, and I, so. I love it. It's like the Holy Spirit answered you with a Y-E-S and three exclamation points. (laughs) (laughs) He'd been pursuing you, and now you turn to him. It's beautiful. Yeah, so I don't have the exact date when I crossed over from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious uh, light through his son Jesus Christ. I don't have the exact day. You know, I didn't go forward at a Billy Graham crusade or Brig Laurie crusade or anything like that. 
But that's what makes this story even more startling because, you know, here's this guy who led you to the Lord who has, you know, not only um, are you in love with him, but he, he's been a spiritual leader. So that change after marriage must have been, um, I mean, how did you handle that? I mean, what did that, what was that like? Well, I guess I didn't handle it too well. I spent a lot of time, we lived in a, just a small, well, I don't know if it's a studio, but it had a bedroom, it had a living room, and then it was a tiny little bathroom. So I spent a lot of time um, locking myself in in that tiny little bathroom and just crying and just saying, this is not what I expected, you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, what was some of the change in his behavior that you saw? Was it like aggression, anger? Um, what was some of the change yes, that you yes. saw? <laughs> what? That and also um, prior to our getting married, he never really drank alcohol. Oh. Now mm-hmm. we're going down the, we walked down to a nightclub where there was music and he was drinking alcohol and... I didn't know this until years later that also when I was at work, because he had um, not, he was let go from um, his job at the hospital because he had a run in, run in with a nursing supervisor where he kind of refused what she was requesting. And anyway, so he stayed home while I went to work taking the bus because we had towed our car and um, it was, it was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but those were dark days and, but I thought that that was going to be like forever, mm-hmm. you know, and at one point though, I remember as we were walking in Honolulu, I brought up the D word <laughs> divorce, you know, mm-hmm. but thank Thank the Lord uh, that didn't happen. And you'd but only been married a, then. Mm-hmm, you'd only been married a short time. Well, between the time we got married, early June of 79 and December 1980, is about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we weren't married very long. Uh, and because of that, uh, one or two of my friends said, oh, you should do definitely should get a divorce or get try and get your marriage annulled, you know, and I didn't even know, didn't even know what that meant. But um, I, I made a commitment that when we got married, instead of saying, I do, we both wanted to say, I will. Somehow we thought that was stronger to say, I will. It's an act of our will that we're getting married to one another. So in sickness, and in hell, you know, mm-hmm. richer for richer or poor, we just... Did you talk to the pastor about Mark's behavior or anyone? Uh, you, I know you said earlier that you had moved across the island, so you were further from church. And so... Yeah, we didn't, we didn't have contact with really anybody, mm-hmm. uh, our friends. Uh, yes, I could have called, but... It's embarrassing, too. There's a humiliation and a shame, sense of yeah. shame that goes with that. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was some of that, too, I'm sure. You're young. Mm-hmm. And also, Mark, you know, he would say, if anybody asks how I'm doing, just say, 
he's fine, you know. Mm-hmm. So, of course, people at work, uh, I worked at the hospital he was working at, a lot of people asked me, how's Mark doing, you know? And mm-hmm. I said, oh, he's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It That was hard because I don't like to lie. Um, well, and I know there was then really a turning point when you discovered that he had a gun. The way I I discovered he had a gun was when he came back uh, in October of 1980. He had gone, he told me, to escort his grandmother. She had come for a trip, and um, he ended up in New York City, but I didn't know that he was going to do that. I thought he was just going to escort his grandmother, who lived in Massachusetts. So he called me one night from New York, and he said that he was going to kill John Lennon, but he said, your love saved me. Mm. He, now, did you see an obsession before this with, um, you know, John Lennon? Before that, um, I'm trying to think when he borrowed the book from the public library with pictures of John Lennon with you know, living at the Dakota. Mm-hmm. And he also checked out, I think it was about that time, he checked out The Catcher in the Rye, mm. book, which he um, totally identified with. But it didn't really take hold that much until later. But he did. He wanted me to, to read The Catcher in the Rye, too, which I think I did. Um, I don't know how much you want me to talk about that. But that book really did have a hold on him for mm. a time. He no longer has that, uh, you know, feeling of identifying with. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so he's in New York, but, and you're at home on the island of Oahu, and you're Honolulu. working. Yeah. Yes, and you don't know when he's coming back, but he has called you, and well, when he called me, I said. To come, I said, come home, come home, you know, mm-hmm. and he did. He, he probably took the next flight. Anyway, he came home, and the first thing he did was show me the gun, uh. and he had me hold it. He wanted me to hold it, see that he really meant it. You know, he wasn't he wasn't lying. He really was going to do it. That's, I think, why he wanted me to hold it, and I just remember how this old metal heavy thing in my hands and I, it was awful. I've never mm. held a weapon before ever, never got that close ever. The only time I would see a gun would be, you know, in a police officer's holster. I mean, that's all. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like he was okay after that, that it was out of his system. Uh, he called me at work one day and he told me that he, had gotten rid of the gun by throwing it into the ocean. He said, don't worry. He said, the ocean, the salt, you know, will just dis- destroy it eventually. Mm-hmm. So it was a lie, but I didn't, I didn't know it. I didn't pick up on it at all. I believed him. And then one day he said, you know, I, I need to go back to New York City and just think about my life and 
basically, I need to grow up and be a man. You know, I'm married now. I might be a father someday. And he just said, just can you just sacrifice a short amount of time and then I'll come back and everything will be all right after that. And I didn't take that too well. I cried a lot and I begged him not to go. But what could I do, you know? Mm-hmm. Couldn't tie him up in a chair or something and mm-hmm. keep him at home. So he, off he went. And I just thought, okay, you know, I just have to be willing to just live with him without him for a little while. I didn't know how long that would be. Then I came home from work, uh, put some probably leftovers or something in the microwave. And I like to sit cross-legged on the sofa when I watch TV. And so there I was, and I was watching Little House on the Prairie. Mm-hmm. And I just, and the um, the actor, um, the one who plays Mary, Mary had just gone blind. This is what I remember. She had just gone blind, and she said, I can't see, I can't see, everything's dark. And then along the bottom of the screen, I saw a ticker tape, something like uh, John Lennon shot in Manhattan, male Caucasian in custody, something like that. Well, they didn't say Mark's name, but in my heart, I just, it just dropped because I, I knew it was Mark. Mm. And that was, that was the awfulest moment. And I just remember getting up and just walking kind of aimlessly around our apartment and just crying out to God, crying out to God because I didn't know what else to do. And I'm just so grateful because God let me know that he was with me. He was definitely with me. Um, That's about the best truth there is, that God is always with you. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes. So, um, you know, but that, (laughs) my life was now turned upside down. I like upside down and inside out. I mean, it was turned every which way. And it's never been the same since. And I just didn't know what to do. Um, Didn't have any church family. Oh, you know, a couple of people, a few people came over. But none of them were really strong Christians or anything. And two days after December 10, I did do um, an international um, press conference. I had to get an attorney, mm-hmm. and he said, he told me, he said, everybody's reporters from all over are calling and bugging me. He said, you should just do one interview and answer the questions, and then hopefully they'll stop calling you and calling me. So that's what I did. And in that interview, I, I somebody asked if I forgave Mark, and I said, I'm a Christian, and I believe forgiveness is very important. So, yes, I forgive Mark. And then another uh, reporter asked, do you love Mark? And I said, yes, I do. I love Mark. Wow. Now, I did still love Mark, but I didn't realize till about 
13 years later, um, Robin will know about these HIM conferences, mm-hmm. Hawaiian Island mm-hmm. Ministries. And at that conference, 13 years later, 1993 now, um, I was given, with everybody else, a little paper flower and told to take it home and just ask the Lord if there's anything in your life that you need to resolve, that there was something between you and the Lord. And if he shows something to you and you take care of it, then they wanted us to write to uh, HIM. And so I I did. And But what was surprising was that the Lord showed me that even though I said the words, I forgive, Mark, in my heart, there was still bitterness and resentment. Mark had ruined our marriage. You know, we had... We even planned at one point to work on a cruise ship together. I mean, we just had wonderful plans for our lives, but now those are all ruined. And um, and you ruined the lives of so many, mm. so many. Yes, yeah, so many people, right? Around, millions of people around the world right. were hurt. Yes, by his terrible deed, his heinous crime. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I, I I realized looking at my life between, you know, those years, 13 years, that sometimes when Mark would call and he would say something, I, I gave him a snippy answer or um, I just showed other ways that I was angry, still angry at him and bitter. And, but I kind of like thought I was maybe justified <laughs> in feeling that way. I don't know, but I, I told Mark um, on, the, on the phone call, you know, that I was resentful and bitter towards him. He, he begged me, uh, he said, please, on behalf of that other man, man that he no longer was because he had been healed and changed, he said, please forgive me. And I knew I had to as a Christian and as his wife, but I just couldn't. It was very hard. And so I didn't at that time, but I was going to a, a midweek Bible study and we were t- learning about how to overcome the darkness, things like that, how to have victory, victory over the darkness. And one night, the Bible study leader said, I want you to think of a person that as soon as you think about that person, feelings of resentment and bitterness comes up. And I thought, oh, I know exactly, mm-hmm. you know. And then I, I went, hey, wait a minute. I don't feel that way towards Mark anymore. Uh, this was the, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit because I knew I, I needed to forgive him. And so the Holy Spirit began his great work and it was gone. Those feelings were gone. I was just praising the Lord. And I talked to Mark again. I just, I told him and we just both were just so happy and thanking the Lord and praising God. And so those feelings have never come back again. That's so remarkable. And we are going to go into a third part because this has really been just the gut 
wrenching part of your story. It's the ashes. And as Cheryl said earlier, God has given you beauty for those ashes. And we want to hear that progress, that, that, that journey that you went on to get there. I and so we'll have you part. come back. I know. We will have you back for part three. That's right, because you you have a story of beauty for ashes, and what is it that the the um, garments of praise? Yes, for the um, mm-hmm. outfit of sorrow, mm-hmm. and that's what this next episode, part three. So you don't want to miss part three. So you got to come back next week yes. for part three, because if you think your life has taken a turn for the worst and is tragic, I think that we've been talking to Gloria, who had one of the most tragic. Mm incidents ever how do you recover from something like that god how do you it's god. only god god mm-hmm. and I, I can't wait till she tells you this next part and it's god that makes gloria a woman worth knowing yes Listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. For more information on Robin, visit RobinGunn.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. Join us each week for a lively conversation as we explore the lives of well-known and not so well-known historical and contemporary Christian women. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at www at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. Women Worth Knowing is a production of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.